exciting about what's happening tonight is that Olivia Shoup is going to interview Chris Valentin. So would y'all just come on up here? And as they're coming up, I do want to remind you, um, if you have little ones, first of all, hopefully you know that we have childcare available to you for free. Well, it's not free. It's the, you know, how it works. Anyways, you have childcare available to you. But if you do have your little ones in this room and they start to get a little squeaky or squawky, which they maybe they do this time of night, we would just invite you to take them into the lobby so the rest of us can listen to Olivia and Chris. Okay? Cool. Okay. <laughs> And now Olivia Schuf and Chris Valentin. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Stop doing Thank you, guys. That's amazing that much. with the rain, you guys all came out. Awesome. Amazing. And wasn't worship... If the worship band is still in here, you guys were amazing. I could have gone on forever. That was awesome. Okay, so tonight what we're going to do is I'm going to do a Q&A with Chris on leadership. Now, he's anointed to talk on all kinds of things, but one of my favorite things to hear him on is leadership. And then also kind of on how to fulfill your potential. So, first of all, I want you to all get this clear in your mind. You're all leaders. Oswald Sanders is the first one that came up. With this definition, leadership is influence. And if you're a follower of Christ, you're called to influence people. So turn to your neighbor and say, you are a leader. All right. So, so as I ask these questions, make sure you realize you're a leader. We're all leaders. We all have different influence, but we're all leaders. Is that okay to talk about leadership? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> and I can ask you questions, and you can even answer different ones if okay. you want. Okay. <laughs> That's what politicians do, so I said he can do that too. <laughs> I can multitask in this atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, he loves, talk- he loves talking to women. I feel the sem- yeah. feminine side of God moving on me. We actually, I had Chris do um, a Q&A on leadership with, my, with Raising Tomorrow's Leaders, and everybody loved it. It was super fun. So anyway, um, now I heard you rode camels recently. Is that true? I did. <laughs> I rode a two-seater. A two-seater. Then I got home, got in trouble with my wife because I have yet to ride our horses. I know. And I knew you were going to say In five years, I've not rode our horse one time. And I would think a camel would be harder to ride. I know. And you've got to watch out for ticks. <laughs> okay. Just real quick. What did you love or learn in Israel? Is there anything specific that um, Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I love Israel. I've never had any desire to go. And I don't know if I'll go back, but it was awesome. <laughs> I was on a tour bus for 11 days, man. Can you imagine me sitting in one place for 11 days? And for three days, I couldn't get anybody to sit next to me because they were all evangelicals. And as soon as they figured out I was charismatic, they were like, oh, he's weird. Did you convert anyone over to the yeah, Holy then Spirit? Yeah, uh, I was prophesying over them one by one. And by the uh, fourth day, they were, they, were, they were arguing over who gets to sit next to me. And, and then uh, on the fifth day I tr- did a night training and every one of them came for prophetic ministry and then they didn't realize it but they were going to they prophesied over each other no they didn't realize that they were going to have to so I had them prophesied over each other they got so excited about it they said can we do this again so we trained so we did another training then they were prophesying over each other in the bus and um, 
and then when the last day when it was time to go, it was three hours before we went to the airport. You know, they were each supposed to share. There were 70 of them. What, what was the greatest impact Israel had on them? And every one of them said their encounter with the Holy Spirit during the prophecy meeting. Amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I come out of an evangelical background. I was thinking over my life, I'm like, the prophetic has probably encouraged me more than anything else in my whole walk. That was exciting. They were getting prophecies right. It was really fun. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Israel. Okay. All right. Um, Okay. First question. Sometimes different times in history kind of require like different leadership skills um, or different qualities. What do you believe are some of like the things we need the most in leaders in the times we live in right now? Well, probably in every season in life, you know, in every season in history, maybe the greatest or one of the greatest attributes is courage, right? And I think um, Heather was praying for courage tonight, which was interesting because it's kind of my first point. Like, if you think about, um, if someone asked you the question, what would you do if you were 10 times bolder? If you would do anything besides what you're doing, then you have reduced your life to accommodate fear. And, um, and you'll just keep reducing your life until you're doing nothing. Because um, fear has no friends, right? So uh, courage, uh, I think courage, it looks differently in different places, doesn't it? Sometimes courage is the ability to uh, have the child you got pregnant without a wedlock instead of aborted. Sometimes courage is the ability to correct your son when you want to be his friend, but you need to be his mother. I mean, courage takes on lots of different shapes, right? We face it every day. There's not one day in my life, and I doubt there's one day in yours, really, if you think about it, that I don't have to muster some courage for something that's um, not easy to do. But uh, I've lived in fear long enough that I realized... Um, I, I lived in fear long enough that I didn't want to come out of my bedroom. So I thought, well, that's probably not the way to live. And some people say, some people have this, you know, I, I have met lots of people like I know that you have, we all have, who um, you can feel f- fear on them. And you say, I, you know, I think you, you've got some fear on you. And they're like, no, no, I'm not afraid. You know, if you're afraid to get on an airplane and you don't get on the airplane, you don't have the emotion of fear because you reduced your life to accommodate it. So the emotion of fear went away, but actually, you're actually living in total fear because you let fear tell you what to do. And I don't think courage, you know, lots of people uh, would describe certain people in our environment as, as fearless. I've actually never met a fearless person. I, there may be somebody, but they're probably insane. I, I think, I think uh, courageous people are... Uh, somebody once said courage is fear that said its prayers so I think courageous people are people that re- re- refuse to let fear tell them what to do and uh, I'll tell you this quick little story I was thinking about it, when it before I came up here because I knew that was going to be your first question because they gave it to me on an email and it's the only one I read <laughs> we had home group at our house for 17 years for 15 years, one hour before home group, I was in the bathroom every, every Wednesday night, Kathy will tell you, with the runs out of anxiety. And I would say to Kathy every night, every Wednesday night, I have no idea why I love to do this. 
because it terrifies me to teach in front of people. And it was a group of 17. For 15 years, I had anxiety attacks to talk in front of people, a group of 20 people for 15 of the 17 years. I wouldn't be doing this today if I would have let fear tell me what to do. Um, That's a good word. That is good. I'm thinking about it. Like we talked about that a lot at our first meeting about overcoming fear and that it's not courageous people maybe are afraid. They just go ahead and do it anyway, though. It's yeah. doing things even when you feel afraid. Uh, people all the time, you know, in public speaking, they're like, I, I feel some anxiety when I get up in front of people. Do you ever feel that? I'm like, yeah, only for 15 years in front of 20 people. They're like, what did you do to get it go, to go away? I'll just keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, I just kept doing it. Just kept, you know. When did it go away? 15 years later. So 15 times 52 weeks. I don't know how many times that is, but that was a lot. I once, um, the head of D- uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, I was a friend of his back in the day, and I asked him, I said, you are such an amazing speaker. Like, he speaks all over the world. And he, and he said, but I'm afraid every time still before a little bit. Yeah. He still said, still, he, he was still going, feeling yeah. afraid. Okay. What about flexibility? Because you know how times are changing a lot? Yeah. Like, how does that, like, that's an important attribute for leaders. And yeah. you talked about that once before with me. Like, Yeah, I think flexibility is important. And I think it's important that it's flexibility and not a doormat. Because I sometimes think we actually name uh, fear other things. So sometimes we're flexible because we're afraid to actually tell people what we're thinking. And sometimes we're flexible because actually the season calls for it, right? right. And I was listening to um, one of the gals talk about, I, didn't, I never go to the bathroom alone. She's talking about her children. Who was that? Renee. Renee, yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I think flexibility is the, is the key to great motherhood, right? I mean, you, I don't... I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm saying, like, I think this is an area I think men can really learn a lot from women because I watch women do what's needed in the season, typically without complaint. And I think, I don't know if a man could even do that. Not, not, not very successfully. And so, yeah, flexibility is important. I, I love, I was sharing on Sunday that, you know, that Peter, I actually love Peter. Do you guys like Peter in the Bible? I love Peter. But, I, uh, you know, I didn't realize it till about a month ago that Peter uh, was actually John the Baptist's disciple before he was ever Jesus' disciple. And so he was able to, like, can you imagine being John the Baptist's disciple? <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> but he was able to be with both leaders, and he was able to, to actually adjust with two, two polar opposite leaders. I think that's pretty amazing. That's awesome. Um, I want to skip down because you because of the way you answer that to a question I had at the end, but I felt like the Lord has really spoken just a lot about um, overcoming fear of man in the body of Christ. And this was like the beginning of this year, but he had said to me, like, I want to thicken your skin. I thought, that's kind of a weird thing to say. And then, like, a couple days later, I ran across a Winston Churchill quote, which is how God confirms things with me. But anyway, this is... This we was, both love Winston yes, Churchill. Yes, we, we love Winston Churchill. But I, he had given me that phrase, and I thought, that's weird. And he'd been speaking to me about fear of man. And, and this is the quote from Winston Churchill. It said, you have enemies? Good. That means you have stood up for something sometime in your life. Develop thick skin, and critics will leave you alone more. So 
anyway, but the thought was just, um, it seems like the Lord is doing that where a lot of times we want to please people instead of do the right thing that he's dealing with fear of man. It's where you, anyway, thoughts on that, like walking in where you care about what people think, but you don't let it dictate what you're doing in a place of being afraid of man. That's really good. You know, I, I think sometimes it's like, I'm afraid of men, but I'm afraid of God more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So sometimes I'm like, I look at them and I'm like, I'm afraid of them. And I look at you and I'm like, all right, I'll do the right thing, you know. But, uh, I, you know, I do think that sometimes we react to the fear of man instead of respond. And sometimes I believe, I, I do believe that sometimes when people say, I'm not afraid, I don't care what people think. I think the more you say, I don't care what people think, the more you are actually affected by what people think. Because the truth is, is everybody cares what people think. Not, we don't all care what everybody thinks, but we all care what somebody thinks. And so it's a matter of how much do I value you. And sometimes I think that those kind of responses are, I'm going to reject you before you reject me. Um, but I think, that, I think the fear of man is really dealt with in two things. One, obviously the fear of God, I just said that. And secondly, in, in identity. I think that if you know who you are and whose you are, and, and if you know, that, and you know that what you're doing, you're actually called to do, and you understand that no matter what you do, on your best day, 49% of the people aren't going to like it. I mean, just look at the president. Just choose any president. I mean, on his best day, 49% of the people don't like what he did. 51% did. So it's like, you know, if we're going to do what people think we should do, then we're going to always be confused. I'm not going to know what to do when. But um, so I, I think it's really important just to be really, to be really secure in, in knowing who you are, whose you are, and that's a big deal. That's not easy. And then what is it I'm called to do? I love Nehemiah's response when uh, the people were afraid, and actually they had been, as we know, in the rebuilding of the walls. Mm-hmm. I think, if I remember, it was uh, 50, uh, 56 years or something. Anyway, many, many years they had been stifled. Fear had kept them from rebuilding the walls. They rebuilt the walls in 72 days. And, uh, and they did it through this, uh, I think, Nehemiah, Nehemiah's response to his enemies. He said, should a man like me flee? I love that. He asked himself the question, you know, when they were trying to scare him. Should a man like me flee? <laughs> and then another time, they're, like, they're, they're screaming all these insults at him. And he goes, I'm doing a great work for God, and I actually can't come down and talk to you right now. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like if I can stay focused on my yes, then all those no's don't matter. Now, I, I want to add one thing because I, I, really, I really think this is really huge for leaders. We have to have some people that we care what they think. We have to have wise leaders around us in which I actually do, in a, in a good way, fear what you think. It, maybe fear is the wrong word. Deeply respect. Like, like if Bill or Eric or Kathy or Paul or Danny, and, and I can name, uh, if I stick just a couple more minutes, I can name about 12 or 15 people that are pretty daily in my life. If those guys disagree with what I, I would include Candace, if those guys disagree with what I think, I stop and rethink what I think. I stop and rethink what I do. I remember about a year ago, I posted something on Facebook. You know, you know me. <laughs> Externally processing on Facebook doesn't always work. And Benny wrote me a private uh, text about an hour after I posted and said, I'm not sure that was very wise. I thought it was fine. 
but I took it down immediately. I, I didn't just take it down to respect her. I took it down because I think lots of times people see things that you can't see. And she's one person that has spoken to my life my entire life. And she's given me the privilege to speak into her life too. But she's been a, a somewhat of a, at least a big sister to me. And in and, and, and my younger years, a mother to me. So I'm like, you have to have people in your life that you, it's not a, it, like, uh, yeah, it's a good fear. Uh, in fact, uh, he, uh, Romans 13 says, uh, give fear to whom fears do. If Bill has a problem with me, I can tell you right now, I don't sleep at night. Yeah. I, I have stayed up in, all night long waiting to the next morning to call or called him in the middle of the night when he's in some other country. And Kathy can tell you, I laid awake and like, okay, it'll be 7 o'clock in the morning there. I'll call him right now because he's my leader. I have to care what he thinks. If I don't care what anyone thinks, that's rebellion. That's so true. That's good. Awesome. Okay. Um, next question is like when you hire um, someone, what kind of traits do you look for? Wow, that's really good. <laughs> um, I mean, some of them may be obvious. Well, first of all, I typically am trying to um, find a person that fits um, a need I have, we have, whoever we, it is. Uh, and typically, I'm trying to hire somebody I'm not. So I, 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 I don't want to hire Chris. I want to hire people who are smarter in areas that I'm, that I'm not good in. Unless I'm trying to reproduce myself in an area where I'm going to step out of, then I'm trying to hire me as, as close as I can get to me, right? Um, I'm trying to hire, I want to hire, uh, let me say this, um, it would be different for different people. In other words, you should know yourself as a leader because you work with different kinds of people. Uh, just as an example, Paul Mar- Manwari and I, and, and, and I would include Kathy, well, let me say this, Paul Manwari and I hire completely different people. The, he has really good people on his team. I wouldn't hire any of them. Not because they're not amazing. If you're on Paul's team, it's nothing to do with that. It's that I work with a certain kind of person, and over I probably have had about 17 or 1,800 employees, and I, I've learned over the years, this kind of person I'm really successful with, and this kind of person I drive crazy, and they eventually quit, or they just don't do well with me. Mm-hmm. Kathy and I, we don't work with the same kinds of people either. So I, so I, so I don't want to give a personality type, because that would kind of... But I'll say this, like, I don't manage people. And, and uh, anyone who's worked for me knows, like, well, you're not a very good manager. I am not a good manager. I'm very not very patient with people that deserve it, that very much deserve it. I'm so driven. So um, I find that I work really well with people who manage themselves and only need lead. There's nothing wrong with people who need to be managed. They just don't work well in my, my world. So I work well with self-starting people who are hardworking, who can, um, can catch a vision and know what to do, Another thing is the way I lead, like, I'll say, um, we need that wall painted uh, gray, and it's, here's, here's the paint. Um, I, that's it. That's, if you need some more instruction, let me know. There's the ladders. Kathy will go, I need that wall painted gray. Here's the 12 steps I want it done in, in this order. Start from that side and do it over there. Tape off the corners. I mean, she's, she, she very, she's very, she gives people what they need, very good instruction. I don't do that. And so people that can't figure that out, I come back two hours later and they haven't started because they haven't figured out where to start. I'm like, yep, I'm not very good at that. So consequently, you'll notice that in everything I lead, I have someone in between me and the people because I drive people crazy. 
I'm a really good leader, but I'm just a really... <laughs> Candace knows because she's... Just part of just knowing <laughs> Candace, poor Candace is like, Chris. Oh, that's great. It's, it's part of what we're talking about, knowing yourself. You have to like yeah. kind of... And sometimes you have to experiment leading to find out what kind of leader you are and what yeah. kind of people. You don't just know that automatically. That takes, that takes time. I, that, I know. I have, a, a, I have three PAs, right? Mm-hmm. So they have to work directly with me. So okay. when I hired Bethany, I hired every one of them, but I was having this conversation with Bethany yesterday, who's my, who controls my calendar, which is, <laughs> which 90% of her job is telling people, no, he can't meet with you. Right. It's not an easy job, right? So yesterday I was telling her something really direct, and she looked at me and she said, the day you hired me, you told me that you were going to be direct with me, and you are. I said, am I hurting your feelings? She says, I'm trying not to let that happen. <laughs> I'm like, Bethany, I'm so sorry. Let me give you a hug. She goes, oh, no, I've worked for you for three years. I understand. I'm like, I don't mean to be that way. I just am. Yeah. Task-oriented. Totally. I'm like, let's get this done. What's the problem? Yeah. (laughs) I had someone get mad at me at Wheaton because I I was way more task-oriented when I was younger, but I passed them in a hall and didn't say hello, and they said, you are just so type A and driven. And they said, you didn't even say hello. And I said, well, I probably didn't see you. And they said, well, we're the only two people in the hall. <laughs> <laughs> I've been healed a little bit since then. But yeah. anyway, okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. If I do see you, I give you a hug. I did stop and I say know. hello. I, I give saw everybody you in the mailbox. Hugs, right? I was talking to an attorney. I said, hold on, I'll call you back. And I went and gave Chris a hug <laughs> three days ago. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, is there a trait? No one's going to like me at the end of this. We've got to lighten this up. Okay, um, I'll skip that question. Okay, sorry. Um, I shouldn't answer so honestly. No, you should. You should. No, it's good. I like everything so far. It's awesome. Okay, what are some of the most important values for a leader? And I talk about this in my BSSM classes. Character protects talent. Like, what would you say about important values for character or in the life of, or anybody that wants to be successful? Um, character. It protects talent. <laughs> um, uh, confidence is really important. Uh, John Maxwell said, when people lack confidence, people lack, when people, when leaders lack confidence, the people lack commitment. So I think confidence is really important. Uh, Compassion is really important. Um, the year, uh, you know, everybody knows I crashed eight years ago. The crazy thing is the month before I crashed, I had written in my journal, which I had forgotten until about a year later. I'd written in, I, I was going through this season, you, you probably have been through it too, where I was really bored and I was praying for people on the line like I do. I, I am pretty diligent. Like I, I will do what I'm supposed to do even when I don't feel like it. And I think that's important. But sometimes it can just be like, you know, wrote, right? We all kind of go through that. And I had been doing it for like a year. And somebody, and people would come up and um, share the most terrible circumstances and I would just pray for them like a robot and not feel anything. And I know that all happens to us all once in a while, but I was like, I had been like a year like that. And I I went home one night after a Sunday night and I had prayed for like lots of people, but there was three or four people that had really broken circumstances that would really normally touch me because I am a deeply compassionate person. And I felt nothing. And I went home that night, and I had wrote in my journal, Lord, do not give me responsibility for people I have no compassion for. 
A month later, I crashed. Now, I don't think God crashed me by any means, but I'll tell you this. After I came out of that six months on the couch and six more months recovery, people could say, my fingernail hurts. I'd be, oh my God. <laughs> oh, seriously. And I, I have pretty much, I've had some days, you know, like we all do. You get people overload, right? You guys get people overload. I can get people overload and I can feel my emotions protecting me. I'm like, you, can't, you just can't weep with everybody. You know, especially if you pray for as many people as some of us do. You can't weep with everybody. You, you won't have a, a brain left. But you, you have to be able to weep with somebody. And, and if, you, you know, if you're praying for people on Sunday mornings and you can't weep with somebody, and you do that for two or three Sundays in a row, I start to worry about my heart. So I have stayed in that place of compassion as a general statement from then on. So I think compassion is really important. Jesus led from compassion. And I do get concerned about my own heart when, I, when people are going through tough things and it doesn't, it doesn't feel, I don't feel it, anything. And if I do that for a little while, like, I start to worry like, oh, my heart's getting hard, something's not right here. Does that make sense? Yeah. Great. Um, are there certain traits like that you've observed um, in successful people that they kind of all have in common, i.e. hard work or, you know, everything's hard before it's easy? I think people just think, I'm not good at that because it's not coming so easy to me or, or just yeah. traits you see across the board. Uh, you know, uh, some things that I think, yes. First of all, you're only success- successful as a team you build around you. Yeah. There's no such thing as a successful person without a successful team. There's, you know, there's lots of time there's one person who's getting credit for it. You know, we, there are certain environments where they only give credit to one person. I can name some that you would know. But behind the scenes, lots of those people that we would know, uh, that you would know, like you would know them as this famous person so amazing, behind, I know some of those people. And there's an amazing team behind them. So nobody gets, nobody, nobody is successful by themselves. And I think success is really about how good are you at drawing really smart people around you, and especially people who are smart where you're not, or talented where you're not. And the challenge is this, and I've said it many times, but I think great leaders are secure enough to draw people around them that are really good where they're really bad, and they brave their insecurity. Because I'll tell you something, we all know this. Like, I don't know how many people will admit it. But when you have somebody around you that works for you that's a lot better than you, it, if it doesn't affect you, I, I don't know if you're human. Because I think that what you're doing is you're managing your insecurity, which is fear, right? You're like, I'm not going to let fear reduce this guy that I need on my team so I get the credit and look great. So I think there's, I think great people, um, they, they get other great people around them and they empower them to be amazing. And I think if you can do that, and that means that you have to think through what you're not good at. <laughs> you have to actually admit, like, I really, I'm really not good at that. Okay. You, you know, if, let's think about it. If you're not good with money, the one friend you don't want over very often is the, the friend that has everything, right? She drives her nice car over and tells you about all the things they're doing, and you're like, oh, I suck. I can't even buy socks with my kids. 
And, and, you know, the more they talk, the more uncomfortable you feel. Like, well, I must be doing something wrong. But that's, you know what? If you want to be wealthy, and I'm not talking about rich, but if you want to be wealthy, you have to hang around with wealthy people because they think differently than you do. And, and I would say that about different things. Like, if you, want, if you want to have that kind of success, you're going to have to brave the discomfort of hanging around with people who do that well, and, and they leave and you do what I do sometimes. I just cry or feel bad about myself and then think, I'm never going to get better at this unless I invite them over again and let them be my friend because they think differently than I do. And so I, I think those kind of people make um, great uh, friends. Uh, the other, one last thing I was just thinking about, because we both love Churchill. Churchill uh, said something I think was profound uh, during the war. He said, nobody wants to tell the boss bad news. So, and he said, the only way you're going to win a war is to know where the war's not going well. But no, no general wants to tell you that his army's losing, his, his troops are losing. So he actually developed, do you know this? He actually developed a, 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 an office uh, I forget what the name of it is. It was kind of a, but that their job was every day to feed Churchill the worst news on the battlefield. Uh, I'll say, in our culture of testimony, <laughs> we have this really huge issue here. Nobody wants to tell you what's going wrong because we don't want to be negative. And so we're like, how, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing, you know, I could have 15 things going wrong, but I'm going to tell you about the one thing that's going right. Oh, yeah, my son got an Anna's report card, you know. Um, yeah, he got ran over by a bus yesterday, but I'm telling you that he got an A on his report card before he got ran over by the bus. And it's like, we, we need a culture of testimony, but in this culture of testimony, I have, like as a leader, I have to actually know what's going wrong. I have, I have to actually empower my people to tell me the truth. And so, you know, and, and so I would say another area is like, you have to have the courage to look at the problem. You, cannot, you can't conquer what you refuse to confront. And so in our culture, and by the way, I love this testimony culture. I love it. I don't want to have a negative culture. But I need my leaders to tell me what's going wrong. And so when they come in, they're always positive. I just had a conversation with one of them not more than a month ago. And every time they come in, they're like, yeah, da, 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 da. and I heard through the grapevine that, is, that this particular thing things going on in his family, it's, he's really suffering. And so I called him and I said, I've had you in here four times in the last month. You've not told me that one time. Well, I didn't think you want to hear bad news. Well, where did you get that from? This is your, this is your family. I, I, why would I not want to know that? Gosh, am I radiating like only tell me good stuff? And he looked at me and said, no, you always ask how I'm doing. I'm like, well, please tell me. <laughs> I'm big enough to take it. I, I'm not fragile. And I started, after, after they left, I thought, wow, I wonder how many other of my leaders are not telling me where they're struggling. I wonder what I'm doing to not invite that. So I've been proactively in the last month like, hey, how are you really doing? What's the worst thing that's happened in this week? Because, <laughs> you know, our typical is, tell me some good news. I'm like, tell me some bad news. And it's been interesting because I've had two really intense conversations with people that, like, well, this has been going on. I said, how long has that been going on? Two years. I'm like, I mean, you know, some pretty huge deals. That's like the whole Maxwell where the CEOs, teaching CEOs to ask 
their people, tell me what I need to know and creating a culture where people actually yeah. can tell you what you need to know because you have to know that. That has to be a part of the culture. I had one student say, I can't find anyone. We were talking about blind spots, and I was saying, you can't get to your blind spots without people telling you the truth. So develop relationships with high levels of truth. And he goes, I can't get anyone to tell me the negative things they're seeing in me. But he was saying, I want feedback of where my blind spots are. Yeah, if someone won't tell you where your blind spots are, it's because what you do when someone gives you bad news about you. I don't know why people won't tell me where my blind spots are. Yeah, because the last person who told you, you haven't talked to them for six That's months. True. <laughs> you have to be teachable. It's like, I never yelled at anyone. No, you just do the quiet thing on them, and you don't talk to them anymore. And they're like, oh, you don't actually have the courage to hear the truth. That's good. Okay, so something you said. I'm jumping down to something, though. Let's change the subject. No, no, no. I want it. We got 11 minutes. We do. We have 11 minutes. Okay. Did you want to say something more about blind spots? No, I was going to say... <laughs> If you can see your blind spots, they're not blind spots, they're stupid spots. Right, right. I know, because I see those, I have those right there. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, leading yourself is perhaps one of the least discussed but most important aspects on leadership. In fact, Maxwell sent out a survey to leaders around the world. And over 50% of the questions came back or how do I lead myself? Like I, I am having trouble with leading myself. And we, I think we intuitively know if I can't lead myself, I can't really lead others. Do you have any thoughts on how you can lead yourself or um, just thoughts on that whole concept and how important that is, what that means? I learned a lot from watching Bill. I think Bill is the master of leading himself in priorities. Like, I've watched him love God when it's not comfortable. I've watched him, you know, we lived with him for a while. That was good. It was just six months. But I watched him get up early, seek God without a crisis. And I'm like, oh, you're supposed to seek God when there isn't a crisis? <laughs> Why is he called the Christ? <laughs> you know, so. One, one of the things I learned and I'm learning, you know, like, don't you think that, uh, don't you think revelation is like an onion? Like you think you, like you learn something, you're like, I have, I teach it, I wrote a book about it. Then a circumstance happened in your life, and you're like, I don't know a thing about this. I don't, I don't know anything about this, you know. Yeah, but one of the things I'm learning is that if you do, if you do the, if you do what you do when you're passionate, when you're not passionate, you'll be successful all the, always. So I've learned, I, I have pretty, my wife could tell you if I've learned this well or not, but with my wife, but I've learned that if I treat my wife when I'm not passionate, like I do when I'm passionate, that my marriage dramatically improves. So I have to, I have to discipline myself when I don't feel like it, to do what I would do when I do feel like it. And when I, and I know this sounds kind of like weird, but if I do what I, what I do when I don't feel like it. <laughs> when I do feel like it, right? Then it's really strange, but I find that pretty soon I feel like it. It's like I find that my emotions will follow my actions if I will do what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I have to remind myself like, ah, oh, it sucks right now. I don't feel like doing that. Okay, you know what? If you go do it, you'll feel like it. No, I don't think I will. But most of the time I do. Like, I'll just get up and I'll start doing whatever it is I'm supposed to do. And 
Kathy's uh, love language is acts of service. <laughs> so <laughs> she likes things done. Do think, don't tell me you love me and don't touch my body. Do something for me. Okay. So, um, so, <laughs> then do I get to touch your body? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Thinking if I, if I do these things, then maybe sometime this week I'll get to touch your body. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that in a woman's... What's going on? Okay, moving right on. Okay. It's I'm important sorry, to lead yourself, Chris. Okay, here we go. That. I just thought it might be good if you knew what your husbands were thinking. Yeah, that was really helpful. Um, yeah, not that you don't. I understand. <laughs> right. They're all like, I, I already know that. <laughs> I've been married for two weeks. I figured that out already. <laughs> so sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> which question to go with? Um, a ser- okay, I'm trying. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay, Benjamin Franklin said there are three things extremely hard. Steal a diamond and to know oneself. Um, so you're what was the last one? Steal, Benjamin Franklin says there's three things extremely hard. Steal a diamond and to know oneself. And I think you hear this all the time from the students, especially like, who am I and how do I find my potential? Um, and most people don't even find that into 30s, 40s, their sweet spot. But they think they ought to know right at 20s. What, do you have any tips for, like, finding what your potential is or your purpose in life, your why? It's kind of a broad question. Yeah, well, you can skip it if you want. No. I'm... <laughs> or answer a different question. Yeah, answer, answer one you didn't ask, which is what I've been doing all night. No, I think, like, where do your passions lie? What are you afraid of? Your greatest, uh, your greatest, de- your destiny lies on the greatest side of your destiny lies on the other side of your greatest fear. So what are you most afraid of? Uh, if you're really, really, really afraid of it, that's where you're supposed to be. Um, well, the children of Israel were afraid to go into the promised land. They weren't afraid to go anywhere else. But the place they were supposed to go was the place they were terrified to go. So I always find this. There's a divinely placed giant in every promised land. And, you know, years ago, I kind of coined this phrase, the, the dogs of doom lie at the doors of your destiny. So, um, so uh, what's your greatest fear? What's your passion? What would you do for free? Um, those things are really important. Um, you know, uh, there's a big difference between being self-aware and self-absorbed. It's a very, there's a big difference, but a fine line. You know, um, being self-aware, you should be self-aware. And that, that in, in simple terms, that means... How do I affect the environment around me when I behave? How does my behavior, my attitude, my presence, the favor on me or the lack of it, how does it affect the people around me? Um, I find as I've gotten older, I hope this comes out right, when I whisper in this place, it sounds like I'm yelling to people because I have great favor here. I've been here a long time. So when I say to somebody, if somebody, if one of my team, one of our team, um, you know, if, if I say, why didn't you get that done? It sounds like I said, why didn't you get that done? Yeah. And they will, and Candace can tell you, sometimes they walk out of my office crying. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't mean that. 
So I, I, I have to realize like the favor that the Lord's given me specifically in this house, because most of these people in this house were my sons and daughters. So if I look like I'm not happy with somebody, that sounds like I'm yelling at them. And sometimes they'll tell Kathy, and he yelled at me, and Kathy knows, I've probably yelled 10 times in my life at somebody. So she'd be like, no, he didn't yell. No, no, he yelled at me. And so she'll say, did you yell at so-and-so? What? You know me. Oh, well, you must have gave him that Chris look because he <laughs> thought you yelled at him. So I, I have to understand what I carry. Now, I don't carry this everywhere in the world, but I carry it here. So I have to understand how I, I'm carried. I, will tell, I tell myself probably 10 times to 20 times a day, smile. No, I mean it. I'm like, I'm telling somebody something, and I'm like, okay, I got to smile. When I'm like, hey, you know, why did you do that? And I'm thinking, are you an idiot or a what? No, I'm just saying, you have to be self-aware. You have to, be, you have to understand how your presence affects certain people in certain environments. Now, of course, I don't have to do that with my kids or my wife or whatever, but I have to do that with people that they don't know me very well and they have a deep respect for me. And I, I find the students, like, I have hurt many of the students' feelings when we do questions and answers because I'm teasing them and they don't know. Oh, he, I'll say, shut up. They're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, my God, I was joking. I wouldn't tell you to shut up unless I meant it. <laughs> So I think those things are important, you know. How do we carry ourselves? How do people read us? What, how do people see us? How does my attitude, my, my humor? Um, yeah, I, I think some partly I'm, I'm at the age where, you know, like school ministry, I'm going to be me and then you have to adjust. <laughs> Sometimes I think that at least. Sometimes they write me like, your sarcastic sense of humor hurts my feelings. I'm like, yeah, I've been here 18 years. I'm not going to change that part of me. <laughs> you need to adjust. Doesn't feel very honoring. I I know. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Next question. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, as a leader, the best gift you can give people under you is your own personal development. And I mean, I've watched you. I've, we've been here 14 years, and you keep growing and developing yourself, not just spiritually, but intellectually, and the way you learn and. Um, can you speak into that, just the importance to keep growing? Because I think the older you get, the bigger the gap gets between people who are going to develop themselves and grow themselves and those who don't, and it separates a lot of your success. Or Now, the, again, I have to credit Bill. Like he, told, he said to me when I was a young man, when you stop learning, you start, you start dying. And I've watched Bill be a lifetime learner. Mm-hmm. I've watched him sit with young men and ask them questions. And he's 20 years their senior, about healing, about things he's interested in. Like, so how did you feel when you when you when that man got healed? And am I sitting there? And that guy's like, he's like 25 year old, and Bill's 60 something. And I'm like, you know what? You're never too old to learn from someone younger than you. Never. And there's there's always more to learn. And so I have found great joy. Kathy and I are both like this. We both love to learn. So I. I love to read. I don't read books as much as I should now because I've been writing so much, to be honest. But I love to read. I love to learn. Um, I love to listen to other people's messages as long as they're not boring. <laughs> I do get bored pretty easy, so I'm like, say it again. Or This is the third service. I've been through it. 
say it differently. But um, but yeah, I, I love to learn, and um, and I really I do you know I do often recall in my mind like yeah when you start when you stop learning, you immediately start dying. So I plan to live to be really old. <laughs> Some of you are like you you are already old. <laughs> And, you know, people, a lot of times they don't develop themselves because they don't believe in themselves. Yeah. So kind of my next last question, unless you want to answer something different, is, uh, like, how do you help people increase their belief in themselves? Like, it's so powerful as a leader to help. Like, I always want to help people believe or see their potential. How can you help people really increase that belief so they want to develop themselves? Olivia, I honestly think you know, if I was going to self-evaluate myself and say, what's my best gift, I think it's helping people fall in love with themselves. I think if, if someone said, what's the one thing that you do as well as anybody in the world? I think if, if, you, if people knew me, and I know you do, I help people love themselves. Because I live so long not liking myself, and I know how devastating that is. So I, and I think that's maybe why some people put up with my quirky sense of humor and you know, weird personality. Because I really do believe in people. Yeah. I really do. I do speak life into people yeah. all the time, every day everybody around me, and I'm not pretending. Like, I actually believe in people. And I, and I, and I tend, and I do sometimes, I, I'm often the guy that believes in, in the person nobody else believes in. And I think that that's definitely because my grandfather and, and Bill both believed in me when I didn't, when, when it, it didn't look like I was, had a lot going on for me. So I remember that pretty daily, and I'm like, that guy right there, and I will choose a guy no one, no one else believes in. Like, I can, you know, you can feel it on people, right? It's the guy over there. It's no one, he's, I'm like, I, I'm drawn to people like that. And I'm like, that guy right there needs a good word. And, and I find it's easy to prophesy over the beautiful woman or the good-looking guy or the guy that, you know, looks like he's successful. And, and that's good. Everybody needs words. But to find prophetic word for somebody who looks like they just got out of the dumpster, that's the person who needs it. No, I'm not joking. That's the person who needs it. That's the person who needs a real prophecy, not just an encouraging word. They need a real prophecy. So I challenge myself a lot, um, if fairly daily, to, you know, um, to just find somebody. And, and those that work on staff, they know, like, if you, if you look down, I don't do down. Like, I, I'm, like, on you. Like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? <laughs> you know, Candace, sometimes I drive Candace crazy. I'd be like, Candace, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm busy. I'm like, okay, everything good? <laughs> so, you know, I'm pretty aware of how people look and when their countenance or if, they're, if they feel heavy or whatever. And, and, I, and I'm, if that's, I think that's an area I am. I mean, if I'm going to say stuff I'm not good at, like I'm pretty good at that and I'm pretty like good at figuring that out and speaking into that in people. And, um, and, I, and I get very concerned when I watch the same person looks like they're down a lot or deeply troubled. And, um, and, and so I'm very sensitive to that. So I think, I think, I'm just, I think that I am good. At, and I'm also good at figuring out where people should go, be, what they should be doing. And I'm, I think I'm pretty good at finding something that looks like a seed in their life that's actually like, that's what you should be doing right there. You're really good at that. Yeah. And um, so I, I think those are areas that I am strong in. And, um, and, I, and we have some other people that are strong like that. Candace is very... Uh, She's, she's very encouraging. Her, Abby, and people like that. It's like, it's hard to be down around Candace, too. She'll, she walks by me, and I don't look like I'm up. She'll be like, are you good? Are you good? And 
So we kind of do that for each other, and I really appreciate that. I think that's really the gift of encouragement. Do you guys need the gift? You need encouragement? Does anyone ever need encouragement? I, I need it every, pretty much daily. And yeah, so, is that right? That's really good. In fact, a testimony, when we got here 14 years ago, we came out of an evangelical background, and you're not really in the, in the group circles we are, and you're not supposed to really lead much in the church. And so I kind of thought, I'm not really supposed to lead or do anything in leadership. So when we got here, um, but Chris kept cornering me the first couple of years, and he'd go, you have a, a leadership anointing. And he kept getting right in my face. And you kept, I don't, you probably don't remember it, but he, do. would, he would keep telling me that. And I always thought, I love to read about male politicians. I don't, I don't fit. I have a male mind. I mean, all these things, I was down on myself. And how do I fit in the church? And, and he, just, he would tell me that year. So even during these 10 years when the Lord told me, I want you to wor- spend your time with your children in that season, I always knew that you believed in me. Yeah. Like it was, it was never a doubt that you thought you have leadership potential, even though the Lord was saying, I don't want you to do anything in leadership right now. So don't you I'm, think I'm this, a testimony this girl, of that. She should be leading a city. <laughs> no, I, I've told her this privately. Like, like, this is one of the most intelligent people that I've ever met in my life. Her and Dan Fairley, yeah. they're really close to the, two of the smartest people, and she's inquisitive and she's a learner. She's incredibly wise. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, and no, I mean, it's just really easy to see, right? Yeah. Like, this gal's going to be leading, at least leading the city someday because she's, she's, just, she's just been practicing her whole life for it. So you're easy, though. You're like the beautiful princess. But it really like, did have so much power in my life. Like, it, it really did. Truth, I, I always knew like 100% Chris believed in me. <laughs> so anyway, that's a great way to end. And thank you. Was thank that amazing? All right. Thank you.